This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Our EQ this week is how does being an interchangeable white lady impact your work or role in the foster care system in Washington State? Today's episode is sponsored by Vague Booking. I think that was a bad idea. Don't mess with me today because I have no patience. Guess I didn't need that tooth. Update your status on social media with an intentionally vague status. Your friends will immediately come to your aid, supporting you with such tweets, texts, and extra Facebook posts that you will feel better. Hashtag vague booking. Hashtag ambiguous. Hashtag call for help. Hashtag need attention. So t- today's episode, it's okay to laugh. So I get memes from my mom. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. memes. Yes, memes. Today's episode, we are so excited um, to have a couple of awesome guests. And our first guest is going to say hey. Uh, it's Skylar Cole. She's a senior education specialist for Treehouse. Hi, friends. We also have with us in the room Brianna Richardson, who is a Tacoma resident. Mm-hmm. And she used to be a foster parent and now is a parent of adopted children. Hey, hey, hey. We are so excited that the We're two really of you excited to have decided you here. to come in today. Okay. Yeah. So I guess to start off, um, can you describe, like, in your own experience, in your own words, like, what role each of you play in the foster care system? First. Okay. And also, like, who you are, a little more detailed in the titles. I can just say <laughs> Tell us about you. Tell us about yourself first. This is Skylar. I work for Treehouse, which is a, a nonprofit based out of Seattle that does a number of different things for youth um, in the foster care system and for families. Uh, but my role is within something called the Graduation Success Program, which helps kids graduate from high school, uh, obviously, and make plans for what they want to do in the future uh, to be successful on their own terms. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because foster care is a lot about adults making choices for children, uh, which is really re-traumatizing. So uh, my work is all about helping kids identify what they're passionate about and what's important to them so that they can move towards something with purpose uh, that they're excited about. So I... Uh, spend most of my time in an office at a uh, high school here in Tacoma. I have uh, anywhere between like 15 and 20 kids at any given time. Um, I see them once a week and we talk grades and going to class and how it's going overall and if they've done their homework. It's like some counseling and some momming and some teaching and a lot of social working all wrapped up into one. How long have you been doing this work? Uh, this is my fourth school year. I used to be the case manager for the Enumclaw and Tahoma school districts out mm. in Maple Valley. Yeah. And this is my second year in Tacoma. Is it what you always wanted to do? Were you like... No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never had a defined, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, when I graduated from college, I did AmeriCorps for a few years working at a middle school here in Tacoma. Uh, and also helping to run an after-school program for a church. And my experience there was of a lot of children with the inability to focus on school because mm. of all the things they mm. had yeah. going on in their lives. Mm. And I felt like the school didn't have the tools and the resources to meet those students' needs. Mm. And so I wanted to go to social work school to sort of get a better idea of how to 
help those kids do school and be able to have, Mm -hmm. you know, more choices in their life. Mm -hmm. So I got a master's in clinical social work. And when I was graduating, I found Treehouse when I was literally just on idealist looking for jobs back in the Mm -hmm. Northwest. (laughs) I'd never Mm -hmm. heard of Treehouse before. I had no intentions of going to work for child welfare previously. But um, I love it. And this job is a perfect blend of my training in trauma treatment and my interest in helping kids access school. That's awesome. So it's been really great. That's awesome. That's cool. So I'm Brianna and uh, I am, I work for DeVita. So I'm a working mom and we fostered um, our niece and nephew and then just recently this year adopted them. And Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's been about a five year or so process because we got our nephew when he was a year and a half. Um, or, no, he was a year. We had him for a year and a half back in 2012 mm-hmm. to 2013. And then we kind of, he went back to his mom and we went about our business. And she had another baby. And then we um, got a phone call in June of 15 that they needed to be placed again. And it was the final time. So we um, got licensed as foster parents then. So that way the kids... Um, could just have more opportunities and more assistance. Um, and then if we did end up adopting them, there'd be more assistance for them down the road. So we got licensed as foster mm-hmm. parents then. And, um, yeah, we've done, like, some respite for friends who had foster kids sleepovers and stuff. But that's kind of with that. But we got really involved this time with advocation and just making sure the kids had everything that they really mm-hmm. needed because they were older now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Cassius was four when he came back to us. So... Um, we had a lot of therapy and a lot of just advocating for his, when his visits were happening and what was going mm-hmm. on during those and the people in our lives. So, yeah, it's it's been an interesting experience mm-hmm. with can, all of that. Can I and also you? they're they're mixed race. Okay. And so that's um, yep. and my husband and I are both white. So yeah. that is something that mm-hmm. has and will continue to prove interesting as we go along mm-hmm. this journey of. Mm-hmm. Um, Forced family fun. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask if either of you could speak to a little bit about the systems that are in place uh, in terms of what foster care looks like in Washington State or Tacoma Pierce County. Um, And then also like the difference with uh, respite. And I don't know if all of our listeners kind of understand those things. Like explain foster care to us. Because if we know nothing. Foster care comes about when... um, you know, you say you you see a kid who you're noticing is maybe like six years old and they're home alone a lot, and you're like, that's not right. Or you're noticing, a, you know, kids abused and what have you, and you're reported to CPS, and then CPS investigates it. And if they mm-hmm. investigate it, um, and they, you know, say this is there's issues going on here, and they offer parent services, and the parents either refuse them or they don't, you know, can't use them or won't use them. Um, sometimes they decide that that situation is not the best situation for the kid to be in. And so then they have them removed through a court process. Um, And then the kid goes to foster care. A lot of times what happens is the kid's sitting in the office until they Mm -hmm. can find a foster family. It's usually not the first phone call. Sometimes it takes hours. And sometimes the kids are having to sleep in the office. Or hotels. hotels, And the social worker has to stay in the hotel with them overnight. So now the social worker is not only like... Mm -hmm 
working way past their time, but now they're having to sleep in a room with a child who, you know, and make sure everyone's okay while also still trying to find a place for them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'll go to a place that can only keeps them for 24 hours, but at least it was a home and a bed for the night. Mm -hmm. And then they go here and then they go there and they don't know what's going on and they haven't seen their mom or their dad or, you know, and sometimes they're an infant and they can't like cognitively know what's going on but they feel that they Mm -hmm. feel that separation and that trauma of the separation Mm -hmm. so um the you know the goal is to get them placed in a place where they can stay until reunification is possible the state always wants reunification Mm -hmm. which means going home going home to your bio parents and they throw every service Mm-hmm. imaginable. I mean, they will send the parents to outpatient rehab, inpatient rehab. Um, my sister-in-law had a um, neuropsych evaluation, mm-hmm. which those cost thousands of dollars. Um, and, you know, they do psych evaluations with a parenting component. So it's not only mm-hmm. are you fit, but how do you parent? What's your attachment to the child? And so they, the parents have to really mm-hmm. run the gamut and in a way, it's like if you need those services, it's great because you free service. It's traumatizing that your child has been removed from you. Absolutely. But let's do everything we can. Mm-hmm. Like as a parent, I think you'd want to do yeah. absolutely everything you can. But yeah. some people just can't. Yeah. Like there's like a yeah. mental, physical, all of it, like block of, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. Like my sister-in-law is like a very defiant person. So she's very like, I don't see what I did wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is ridiculous and I'll play along. But what she didn't get or didn't care about or you know we won't really know is that they're they're measuring your progress and how you can sustain that progress right. and that that's the factors yeah. so it's a lot of different things and in the meantime the kids are just living with someone mm-hmm. who they don't really know who's trying to you know mm-hmm. in the best situations give them a great home and have a real good one-on-one parenting experience and they encourage you to like treat them as your own mm-hmm. and get attached to them and let them get attached to you because That's although it's um well, could be really yeah. hard if they go away they'll at least have had some attachment yeah. and i went through the co- yeah. the core caregiver training mm-hmm. um a few years ago and uh, for foster becoming a foster parent and when i went through that training, the teacher was incredible. I don't remember her name, but she was just like this really veteran foster parent and Mm -hmm. she's just amazing. Um, But she was saying that it used to, the working theory used to be that you didn't want foster parents to become attached to foster children because like if the goal is reunification you don't want attachment but that's what causes like a lot of the re-traumatization when they're, they can't form healthy attachments with adults and so I, you know it's interesting like just thinking about how that's changed like why was that ever the norm, I guess, to... To not form attachment yeah. or to form attachment? To not form attachment. I mean, because it's... I mean, when Cassius came to live with us when he was one, we had never really... We met him once mm-hmm. before that, oh like, gosh. in a little meeting with our sister-in-law. And, yeah. um, you know, we knew way back, you know, years before he was born, when my, my husband's father, who he shares a father with his sister, um, he passed away. Mm-hmm. And she was 17. And we were standing on, like, the deck of his trailer. Mm-hmm. And Brian looked at me one day and said, he goes, I, I think we're going to end up with her kids one day. It's mm-hmm. sad. Like, we mm-hmm. kind of just knew then. It's like 17. And then when she called us a couple years later and she was pregnant, we were like, oh, boy, I think we're going to have that kid yeah. one day. So, you know, it... Um, the foster... We, we knew yeah. it, like, we knew it then. Mm. Yeah. And, and so it was... But you don't know if they're going to go back in six months. Right. Or if they're going to go back next week. 
or you in know, three years. Or in three years. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. be in and out of your house right. for years. It's Skylar, can you yeah. speak a little bit to some of that systemic stuff that you've seen or kind of your background? You have some data, too, right? Because you're like, I that's do. sort of your yeah, I did wheelhouse, a, right? I a read of some data this morning because I don't think about child welfare statistics that frequently because mm-hmm. uh, I just look at it all day. Um, <laughs> but the child welfare system is inherently reactionary. Mm-hmm. It is about remediating problems that have been identified. Mm-hmm. We don't invest... Um, as a society in the programs that are used to help families on the front end so that they mm-hmm. don't enter the child mm-hmm. welfare system. We have those programs, but they're hard to access um, mm-hmm. and they aren't as widely available as they need to be. Mm-hmm. And what I was finding last night is that they are disproportionately not always available to families of color, Yeah, mm-hmm. which is part of, which is ironic because those families are also more likely to be in poverty and come more into contact with mandated reporters, which are people who are legally obligated to mm-hmm. report child suspected child abuse or mm-hmm. neglect. And I was interestingly you mentioned that because I was reading what DSHS had some information that um, s- children of color are not um, like statistically not more likely to be abused or neglected. No. They just come in contact with the system more yeah. often. So yeah. the, what's funny is that Statistically, they're more in contact with mandated reporters. Yeah. Um, and I'm not really sure where all that more contact is happening. And I think that's yeah. more likely with, with young, young children. I would think in early childhood education yeah, programs say, anyway, that oh, middle-class families don't access okay. because they have they're paying for the preschool. ability to pay for preschool. Okay. Yeah. Right. Or mom's staying home. Yeah. 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 Um, so... We, I don't know if y'all have to watch this as teachers, but at Treehouse every year when we get recertified as like mm. watching mandated reporter mm-hmm. trainings, we have to watch this video that's called like what everyone needs to know about racial disproportionality in the foster care system. No, we don't, we don't watch that, watch but that. we should okay, have to watch that. So, probably. You live it. Foreshadowing yeah, yeah. of the homework. It, I think of it as the check yourself video because the entire <laughs> video is presented in this awful monotone and it just keeps coming back to the words check yourself. Like, And the, ba- the basic <laughs> message is have I always reported suspected abuse or right. neglect when I've seen it? And the uh, answer for everyone is obviously no. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, we wouldn't have uh, way more black children and way more Native American, American children, children in the foster care system yeah. than yeah. there are in the general population. Because mm-hmm. um, we would be reporting all the times we're seeing it with white kids that right. we just are and, like, and acting you, like And you have normal. to also think culturally. Yeah. Like what's culturally appropriate for someone may not be culturally appropriate for you. And so that's mm-hmm. where you get the parent going like, What? Yeah. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And, but to, you know, I guess for society, the white standard. Yeah. Right. It's not okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. All of these systems yeah. are normed to white middle class people right. and white middle class parenting values. The video even just like points out even just parents who speak more loudly to their children mm-hmm. or more mm-hmm. in declarative sentences to their children are more likely to, like, raise people's suspicions. And if we also think about the people who are mandated reporters, about half of mandated reporting comes in from law enforcement, Mm -hmm. education, and social service providers, which are all overwhelmingly white. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And teaching and social workers, especially white women. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know about y'all, but when I was in school, I definitely picked up on this ethos of, like, nobody questions white middle-class people's parenting. Right. Like, it's not okay to ask about that or to pry right. into families because yeah. we have this ethos of, like, privacy and individualism right. in our families. But when you're looking at kids of color and mm-hmm. families of color and they're already different than you and mm-hmm. you already don't understand their family structures mm-hmm. and you're already a little, like... I don't know, is this right? You're more likely to call. Mm -hmm. And then you're more likely for other issues to come up and be seen Mm -hmm. that just don't get seen as frequently 
in other families. Um, and the the kids, so it's like twice as likely that if you get called about and you're an African-American child that your case is going to be indicated, mm-hmm. um, which be means that they find, yeah. they'll actually go out and investigate it. Because yeah. not every like child welfare call gets investigated. Yeah. And for Native children, it's three times as likely. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then um, kids of color are less likely to go home and they're more likely to stay in the system for longer. Yep. Um, What's the reason for that? Is it has, Does that have to do with like the paperwork and they go back? Like, what is the reason why they don't go back home as quickly? Um, it, well, so, I <laughs> or mean, are there reasons? Yeah. There, there are reasons. There's a lot I of mean, reasons. so it can be it can be as simple as like, um, you know, so when a kid's removed within three days, they, mm-hmm. you know, they first they have to get an order to have the child removed, yeah. like a warrant, and so then they have the child removed, and then within three days they have to go to family court, and DSA mm-hmm. just has to say we asked for that emergency removal or that temporary yeah. removal, and mm-hmm. this is the reason why we think the child should stay in care okay. and that it, mm-hmm. they should become a, a dependent of the state, um, not you know permanently. There's the parents still have mm-hmm. rights, but they're. Um, just kind of a yeah, they're they're considered a dependent of the yeah, state. Yeah, those dependency hearings like a, are like crazy too. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like because they have like shared yeah. custody. <laughs> like because the mom has yeah. a say to an extent. Like we had to allow and notify her of doctor's appointments. Yeah, haircuts. Um, haircut. Oh, yeah, don't give me more haircuts. <laughs> um, and the haircut rule has changed. Mm-hmm. And talk about vague booking. Very recently. Yes, too. it's yeah. like you have to maintain their appearance of what they came <laughs> to you as. But if the parent what? says no, you still can't do it unless the social worker so like, overrides. Wait, if you can't, like, so the if, biological if you can't parents, with, like, yeah. a shaggy haircut because of neglect, neglect, neglect or, yeah. you know, busyness or whatever, right. you can't cut the hair. And, well, and there's exceptions. So, like, obviously yeah. if a child comes in and they have shaggy hair and it's in their eyes, you can ask the social worker to give them a bang trim. What? Um, and most of the time they'll approve. Or if the child has mm-hmm. got, like, some serious, wow. like, matting and things like that going on or lice. It's like it's a health issue. It's a, yeah. If it's a health issue, then they can override the bio parents. But... Um, they do this because of Native American children, because Native American children were coming into the system with long hair because that is their culture. So against the cultural And the parents and, and these white parents were going in and going like, not in this house, you hippie, oh. and like cutting their hair off. Mm-hmm. So it was it amazing. The rule, the rule is there for a reason, but it's also yeah. like, yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the child welfare system in a, a nutshell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Every step of the process from being identified to possibly being a victim of abuse or neglect to the judge deciding that you should be removed from your home to Mm -hmm. the judge deciding that you should Should exit shelter care, which is foster care for the first three days, to go into actual foster care to where you're a dependent of the state and now a judge has to approve for you to go home to the services that someone gives mom or dad to get their kids back Mm -hmm. to the requirements that are set to the way that a kid is like... The way that kids engage in services mm-hmm. for themselves to deal with their yeah. trauma yeah. is subjective. Mm. Yes. Every single step of the process is subjective and allowed for racial bias to mm-hmm. occur in all the ways that it occurs in our society yeah. normally. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yet there are all of these rules that are objective mm-hmm. but applied in a subjective, subjective. system right. that do ridiculous things like you can't give somebody a haircut. Like there's this whole set of rules. It's called the yeah. prudent parent standard. Prudent, prudent parenting law. <laughs> are the things that like foster parents are allowed to decide a kid mm-hmm. can do or have to ask the social worker about first. Yeah, or, or don't, do or don't. So like, ha- so like the haircut thing, you know, with like Cassius, the big deal was um, – she wanted to be there for the haircuts. And for the first haircut, absolutely. I'm not denying anyone that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, it was just like, do you have to be there for every haircut? 
especially when I'm paying for it. So, you know, uh, <laughs> something like that. And yeah. And then as when then when they came back to us the second time, the law had changed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we talked to a social worker. We need to get him a haircut. And she said, mm-hmm. okay, go ahead. And then when he went to a visit a couple days later, his mom had a giant fit and took him to um, a black barber shop, which we had tried to take him to, but he has a fear of black men because his removal was due to a domestic violence with dad who was a black man and so they get real ad- nervous, antsy yeah. and nervous and so she took him in there and he was terrified and then had them shave his head and then mm. told him you go back home and show her what a real haircut looks like mm. and so mm. then after that we were all like let's not traumatize him anymore yeah. and now we're going to get her approval for haircuts and eventually she just gave up and said don't ask me anymore Interesting. Because we were giving him, I, I don't know, I think she just sort of was just like, I'm, I'm done yeah. having to give approval. Yeah, you know, I was, so, oh, it's, But it's not uncommon for foster yeah. parents and bio parents to have to like go through that. Yeah. It's, yeah. One other thing I was thinking about when I, in the experience that I've had um, kind of navigating the foster care system as a foster parent was the dependency hearings are held at the juvenile justice center. Right. Which I know for when kids get to be a certain age and they understand what that is, mm-hmm. that it starts to make it. And they just, I mean, you know, thinking about how things have been reshuffled at the state level, like that's that system. Those systems are even closer together now, juvenile right. justice and foster yeah. care. And so right. I think about mm-hmm. like, how does that make kids feel once they're aware of it? Like, oh, this feels like jail. Like, what yeah, are well, we doing ca- here? Yeah, Cash is like that. Right. When we went to the courthouse, he goes, why do I have to go to the why courthouse? Going, why like, am I going to juvie? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and many right. of our kids in the, fo- in the child welfare system have juvenile justice involvement yeah. mm-hmm. already right. or as a yeah. function right. of their trauma or mm-hmm. teenage sure. choices they've made under right. far more scrutiny yeah. than teenagers who aren't in child welfare right. get yes. to make. Right. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting yeah. observation that those yeah. processes are so close together yeah. and right. they are going They're to be, li- they literally share a wall. <laughs> like, and they're going yeah. to be closer now yeah. because the state is reshuffling, um, mm-hmm. the services because there's such a disconnect right now between child welfare and early childhood yeah. education mm-hmm. and juvenile justice. And the idea is that if you bring them all together into one department, I think it's going to be called the department of children, children and families, what? children, mm-hmm. youth and families, children, youth and families. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. That those systems can work together better to do more prevention and mm-hmm. more coordinated care. Um, and uh, like we're, at Trios, we're very optimistic about it, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's going to be some time coming to actually like yeah. be implemented and show how those systems can or cannot work together mm-hmm. um, and what new services need to be provided yeah, and right. what funding did we leave out and what services are yeah. – is one for, one system being able to inform the other system mm-hmm. going to reveal like, oh, actually, we need yeah. more of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be really fascinating to Deliberate and cautious about it to make sure that it's actually helping kids and families yeah. and right. not <laughs> making it worse. Right. Yeah. It starts out with <laughs> good intent, which a yeah. lot of things start mm-hmm. out, but because of the systems that we have in place, that doesn't yeah. – right. yeah. yeah. Well, and the perception too, just of, this, of the systems, right? Like mm-hmm. how people see them when they're interacting with them. Skylar, what are some other kind of systemic things that we should think about when it comes to understanding the foster care system? Um, uh, We were talking a little bit about this outside, but there Mm -hmm. are not very, there are not enough foster parents, period. Mm -hmm. If you have any desire to house children in your home, please consider being a foster parent. Um, A lot of the classes are free. Yeah. Mm. How do I um, find the classes if the, I was interested? DSHS, um, DSHS.law.gov, and then it's like family. Yeah, just Google how do I become a foster yeah, parent Yeah, foster parent in Washington, Washington State. <laughs> and then DSHS will tell you all about it. Um, and then <laughs> there are also private mm-hmm. yeah. agencies <laughs> that like contract to do the foster parent mm-hmm. training as well okay. and to mm-hmm. do licensing. And some of those agencies provide 
um, they provide varying levels of support for foster mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. Kind of a buffer between the state. Yeah. And then, but then that can also get a little complicated. I, I'm on yeah. like a f- bunch of, there's like a, it's called Fostering Together Region 3. And it's mm-hmm. only for foster parents. And it's on Facebook. Okay. And it's a place where we kind of go like, you know, anybody know anybody who takes, you know, state insurance for this yeah. or that? Or like, I'm having issues with this. Does anyone have any like ideas? Group. It's like a support group online. Cool. And so um, I noticed a lot of people who've gone through agencies like Catholic Family Services or something like that mm-hmm. to be foster parents. It's like a whole other extra layer of somebody who you're and waiting to call you back. Money. And it costs money. But so with the state, they're like, please, we will train you for free. Yeah. We will yeah. pay for every. You have to pay for nothing to become a foster parent, and you go through the training and yeah, you know, and a licensor, and it's quite an in-depth process as far as like you have to write about how you grew up. They're gonna, you know, it's like, like how do you think? Oh, it's, you, it's a huge, it's huge. package. Yeah. The home study, yeah. and my husband yeah. and I both had to do it, and um, but. It does make you think a lot about, like, well, why are you doing this? Or why do you, you know, how do you yeah. think the way you were parented is going to affect the way mm. you parent? Mm. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. But it's it wasn't a terrible process. It can be a little long. but A, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand the different places in which a child can mm-hmm. live under the umbrella of the foster care yeah. system. Yeah. So there are licensed foster parents okay. who yeah. are people who go through a state um, mandated training mm-hmm. about how to parent these types of children, and they mm-hmm. get licensed for different age groups. So you can mm-hmm. get yep. licensed for young children or teenagers okay. or for the or you can only do, you'll only do twenty four hour you know emergency <laughs> placement, emergency care, placement. Or emergent placement or respite. Or Some people something. are licensed to take sibling groups. Some people are not. Right. It's kind of like pick your poison. Yeah. Um. So that's foster parenting, and the only way that you can get money to support foster children is mm-hmm. to be a licensed foster parent. Right. So I was looking at, it's about 45% of kids in the system are with licensed foster parents. 45? 45? 45%. 51 are with relative caregivers. Is it 51? Something, something, it's almost close to that. Yeah, I saw... Or like 40-something and then the rest yeah, are fictive Yeah, I saw a number kin. less than... For fictive kin and family mm-hmm. that was less than licensed foster parents, but okay. that was very surprising to me because the vast majority of kids I've interacted with are actually living with with relatives, relatives, right. or yeah. what's called fictive kin, which is a family like friend. family friends. So, and so those people li- don't get money to help. License just <laughs> yeah, means they that don't. they're not their family members. Is that what? That- no, because we're licensed and we're a family member, but we got licensed so that we could get mm-hmm. assistance. So yeah. So people that just go out and decide, I want to be a foster yeah. parent, and they don't have a kid in mind already or a yep. kid that's popped up in their life, yeah. go get and become the licensed foster parents, right? Yeah. And they get paid a monthly step in depending on the needs of the child yep. to mm-hmm. take care of them. And it's not enough to take care of a child. It's also paid right. as a yeah. reimbursement, not as like, it's not a payment to you. It's right. to no, cover it's, the it's costs of It's a partial of your... reimbursement of what you've really put out. What you've already yeah. paid to so cover the costs of the paperwork to get money to support the children that you Evaluation. So, so here that like uh, we've talked, Skylar and I've actually talked about this, like that kind of um, awful thing where people are like, "Oh, become a foster parent so you can make money," See, I've which is not a thing. It's not a thing. I guess if you're staying home and you have a bunch of foster kids, like it could cover some stuff because, but it might you might it's break not, even, so but it's I not. Have, it might. Yeah, yeah, I have foster parents. It's it's a horrible stereotype it that is, I think yeah. it is. deters yeah. people from interacting with the system because they don't want to be. They want people to think that that's what they're well, doing. Well, it's perpetuated on TV, and it's, I yeah, think that's in the books is. that I've experienced. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen it. 
okay. over mm-hmm. time in my work with Treehouse. It's it's like anything that generates a stereotype. It mm-hmm. exists to some mm-hmm. small degree. That yeah. is not the vast majority of foster yeah. parents. It's not, no. I do work with parents who do not have jobs outside of their foster parenting because they take high-needs children. Right. And, like, when yeah. you have kids, yeah. when you have multiple kids in your house who have therapeutic appointments and all the doctors and dentist appointments you have mm-hmm. to make and... You, like just medically social fragile, worker appointments, medically right. fragile lawyer kids. appointments, yeah. and uh, CASA appointments. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you don't have time to do a job. <laughs> yeah. no, you just you just have to focus on parenting these children, yeah, right? right. Um, and that's a completely legitimate yes. use of one's yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, Brian and I talked about me staying home once we got licensed, but even with what we were getting paid for the kids, it was not what I was making at work. And so, and I also, I hold the medical insurance. Mm. So. That's a factor. So that's a factor. So it was like, and then it definitely wouldn't have been enough for him to stay home. So it was like, okay, so we have to work. And thankfully, Mm -hmm. like, the state paid for the kids to continue to go to daycare. And then once we adopted them, Cece was actually, um, she had turned three two months before we adopted them, so she got grandfathered into the early childhood edu- the ECAP mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. So she's going to have extended care ECAP until she's five, Great. Mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So, but we had to work really hard for that kind of stuff. Yeah, to to get that stuff paid. Um, you know, the, when we started, when we first got the kids, we got three hundred and twenty five dollars a month from TANF. I went and applied for TANF assistance, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't give us food stamps. TANF is welfare. TANF is welfare. Temporary assistance for needy families. Yes. <laughs> um, or the dole, or whatever, you know, you want to yeah. call it. But, yeah, we when we got cashes the first time, the social worker said, we don't tell people this, because they really kind of don't, but go apply for TANF. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so we did, and for him, he was, he was just a little over a year old. We got $325 a month for TANF. And it came on the card, and yeah. that was it. We didn't get licensed as foster parents when he was with us the first time yeah. because we didn't know how long he'd be there. Mm-hmm. And then when they came back the second time, next day, I went in and got uh, signed up for TANF, and they gave us $345. We got 20 more bucks for Cece. Mm. Oh, my God. So that was That's... it. And so we dis- we were like, yeah, okay. I'm shame bell. Yeah, shame. shame. That. Yeah. That's... So I – and they don't give you food stamps. Because they have mm-hmm. something called the purchase prepare consume ratio. So they couldn't guarantee that they had to use our income and so we wouldn't qualify because they couldn't guarantee that the food that we purchased with the food stamps yeah. would be prepared solely yeah. for the kids and consumed f- solely for, with, by the kids. Which, Ridiculous. no, it's not. It's going to go towards supplementing the other $400 a month we're putting out in food because they eat like monsters. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, kids eat a lot of food. A, they, well, they lived on a diet of like 7-Eleven. Yeah. Like they were like, he's like, I'm hungry. Can we go to 7-Eleven for dinner? I was like, what? Wait, what? What? No. Yeah. We're gonna. You're gonna sit yeah. here and eat the grilled chicken and veggies I made you. And he's like, "No." And I'm like, yeah. "Then you won't eat." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not that. going to Seven Eleven. That. that took it took months to get through that. So that's when we were like, "Okay, we're gonna get licensed as foster parents so that mm-hmm. they can we can have more money, so that we can make it rain on their lives a little bit more and make mm-hmm. it a good experience. Get them the services that they need. Oh, and feel then normal about feel like normal. just regular stuff. Like, exactly, know, and the extra things that come up because it is a reimbursement. Yeah. Like, it did just sort of help supplement what was really going out. And then mm. when we adopted them, we were able to continue to mm. get a portion of that Yeah, until they're 18 or maybe 21 if they stay in college and we have to, like, reapply yeah, and all, all that. that but then we were able to negotiate medical, dental, vision, 
You know, when you adopt them, you can negotiate all that stuff. We negotiated some things for down the road. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. if one of them all of a sudden starts to exhibit signs of a serial killer, we can get them a neuropsyche eval. Okay. It's called and adoption support. It's called adoption yeah. support. Cool. And But you have to be a licensed foster parent. To get that. To get it if you're adopting a kid. If you're just a relative and you never got any support and then you adopt the kid... They don't do that. Can you go back to, Skylar, can you go back to the layers? I know we've kind of been running around, um, but with our conversation. But it's all been really good and really useful. It's funny because I went into this thinking, like, I know a little (coughs) bit about foster care. My mother-in-law has done foster care for decades. Mm -hmm. And my sister, you know, went through the process a little bit and and talking, you know, to the two of you. So I'm like, I don't feel like I'm completely ignorant. But it's interesting because you're sharing a lot of stuff. I'm like, oh, didn't think about that part. Oh, didn't realize that piece. And I just wonder about how many of our listeners kind of in that same boat, too. So can you go back to what you were saying about so X number of people are – um, license, and then we've got the family layer, and mm-hmm. then what are some of the other layers yeah. that are part of this? And like, so, what's the need? Like, because it seems like how dire is the situation? It's so dire. Okay, tell it's us so about dire. it. It's freaking. Well, awful. answer Hope's question first, and then sorry, yeah, don't sorry, Hope. I'm sorry, Hope. Um, I'm sorry, okay, Shame Bell. Okay, yeah, <laughs> going back. So there are also kids who live in institutional care. Um, so kids that are living in treatment centers for mm-hmm. their um, mental health concerns. Mm-hmm. That qualifies under foster care? Yes. Yeah. So like so it's like Yeah. So foster care, you are in foster care if you are a ward of the state. Okay. So if you that have been sense. legally removed from your family as the primary caregivers and a social worker is now your legal guardian mm-hmm. or the state is your legal guardian via a social worker, mm-hmm. you are in foster care, which can be any number of living situations okay. from living with a licensed family to living with Ken that is working on getting licensed to living with people that are never going to get licensed, but they have a connection to you. And so that can facilitate yeah. some attachment and some stability in your life mm-hmm. um, to kids that are living in treatment centers, to kids that are living in group homes, um, mm, which yeah. can be group homes that are just um, a lot of them are treatment based as well. Okay. Um, there's a whole subset of foster care that's called BRS or behavioral rehabilitative services. Okay. I'm um, seeing that on some paperwork. Yeah. It's a lot of teenagers. So that is, is teenagers. Yeah. 11 and so, up yearly. Yeah. yeah. That's a system or a subset of the system for kids that have extreme behavioral um, concerns that need treatment. And most of those concerns come directly from the trauma mm-hmm. that those youth have faced. Also, a lot of, um, right. not a lot of, I can't speak in such generalizations, there are definitely youth in the system that are drug impacted okay. upon mm-hmm. birth. Um, there's a, a big uptick right now of CPS calls made related to drug use. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, both parental drug use. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Some kids are living in group situations, which is not ideal, and the system is supposed to not put kids in group homes, if at all humanly yeah. possible, because it's just it's just not great. How many um, do you know anything about like how many group homes are in Washington State or in the Tacoma Pierce County area? Is that I don't have that statistic okay. um, off the top of my head. Right, we can we can look something up yeah, and add it to the show notes. I remember later. like doing core caregiver training and having my mom say because when our folks were growing up, there were orphanages, and so like when we went through that uh, training, yeah, my so mom weird. saying like, "Whoa." Group homes, like, it sounds like kind of like a throwback because my, my mom's folks died when she was really young. And um, so she's like, that was an option then where orphanages and now yeah. we have a foster care system. And it's like, it seems like how close mm. are we getting to that kind of like, I mean, it's not the same, obviously, because those are huge institutions. But mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. it feels uh, feels vaguely familiar in a mm-hmm. not yeah. a good way. Those are hard systems yeah. for kids to live in because they have rules <laughs> and yeah. some of them are yeah. some of them are really necessary rules that keep kids safe and yeah. some of them are about um, 
helping kids learn better and safer behaviors mm-hmm. that are going to help them advance in life. And some of them are just arbitrary as hell and feel terrible on top of yeah. all of the rules that their lives are already yeah. dependent upon in the foster care system and in mm-hmm. the education system. Sure. Um, one of the things that's frustrating thinking about, like, payment and how much kids cost mm-hmm. to raise in foster care is that you get assigned a level as a yes. child in foster care. Um, so, like, a general level one kid gets a certain reimbursement mm-hmm. rate for foster parents. Mm-hmm. And then you get leveled up if you have additional issues. Like, you mm-hmm. need more therapy or you mm-hmm. have more services that you need in general. Yeah. And that all gets documented. And that documentation follows kids everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are aware of it because we talk about it in these meetings where we do case planning mm-hmm. as a team. And um, they they know that. Mm-hmm. And that stigmatizing it's awful and all that documentation and all of the mental health evaluations that they get and the services that they get that they need result Mm -hmm. in more documentation Mm -hmm. that gets shared with an ever-growing number of adults um Mm -hmm. because the social worker can change quite frequently because there's not a lot of stability Mm -hmm. um in the child welfare system in terms of staff and then when those kids are in the education system that documentation follows them it's not supposed to it's supposed to be, like, really limited to the right people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, diagnoses get documented in students' IEPs when they have special okay. education needs. Um, That's individualized education plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, court paperwork in students' files in the office to prove, like, who has the right to, mm-hmm. like, pick them up from yeah. school and who is, should be called in an emergency and things like that. Well, and we get the flags in our like our system when there's, like, something about communication with certain people or limited communication, like, if you pull up a student in our attendance system. Right? Yeah, but like, it doesn't say if the kid, yeah, the child. It won't in. say, yeah, but it will say, like, well, yeah, it, good. Yeah, it's a privacy yeah. issue. I mean, I but I have seen, like, um, things about that there's certain adults who are not they're not allowed to be in contact with that those have appeared on our system and yeah. maybe they shouldn't yeah. have and there's but. always a lot of questions because in some cases parents retain the right to be involved in their kids education yeah. and sometimes yeah. they don't right. and that's spelled yeah. out in this paperwork that not very many people are supposed to have access to and right. teachers like never have access to that information yeah. and it's yeah. such a hard balance in my work in schools to like provide information that will develop empathy and understanding in teachers to help them mm-hmm. work with some of these kids right. that have really high needs and also to protect the privacy of my kids Absolutely. and to right. allow them to dictate how much information is let out about them but in the background there's so much information out about so, them yeah. Yeah. are you guys subject and it to f- them are, and they take yeah. on this like persona of like I'm a bad kid or I'm a challenging sure. kid. Are yeah. social workers subject to FERPA the way that teachers are FERPA being like privacy, federal privacy standards for confidentiality? Or is there something else that... There is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you have your is. own kind of code of conduct for social work or that you about confidentiality. Confidentiality is one of the founding values and ethics of the social work profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, certainly it is... Everything in child welfare is supposed to be on a need-to-know basis, mm-hmm. pretty much. I get to have access to kids' education records through um, the contract. So Treehouse is actually a contractor mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the government pro- providing educational services for youth in foster care because the child welfare system can't do it. Yeah. It's, like, outside of their level of Just, capacity. A social worker can't manage all of a kids and know that system right. on the level that they need to because they're wrapped up in basic needs and safety. Yes. yes. Right. So you're a specialist. Like, you're very specialized in 
and that's part of your role is like yeah. filling that need because they can't other social general social workers can't do that. Yeah, it's not possible. No. I can't do it some days. Our social worker who this time this this last placement and last and final placement we got like a unicorn, and the first time around we went through three social workers. A good unicorn. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> She's my favorite. Rare, um, beautiful, magical. sparkly, Rare, beautiful, magical. She. So you know, the first time around, my husband and I were trying to alert them to like, look, we you know we saw yeah. the mom out with the dad who she's supposed to be staying away from because that's why the kid came into care, and they're like, well, do you have a photo? Oh. And I'm like, well, no, but I'm just letting you know. And they're like, well, she said she just doesn't. And I'm just like, well, fine. And so that's like the gamut we ran this, that first time. And then this time, um, we had a social worker who was like, you've known her her whole life. What's going on? Mm-hmm. How, you know, and we're like, you know, we hadn't don't know what's been going on in the last few months, but this is what's been going on ahead of time. And so she kind of had this thing. And then she could call us and go, has she ever done this or said anything about this or, you know, and so she would try not to let us know if like someone reported something Mm. and there, she would ask us like, have you ever heard of her doing these things or have, you know, like one of the things was, have you ever heard of their kid's dad being mom's pimp? And we're Mm. like, um, no, but I'll be honest with these, 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 and these behaviors and things. Now that you say that I wouldn't be surprised. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we left it at that. And then I, you know, I could go on and do my own investigating if I wanted to, because I'm just that person. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and then they did, and then then they did theirs. But um, if we reported anything to them that we saw, mm-hmm. um, they didn't really let us know of the follow up, other than like, yeah, because of the privacy thing. Because right? of the privacy thing. Like but on the other hand, our situations unique and not unique because we're a family member providing this service and so they I think with they kind of like the confidentiality is huge and important and there were a lot of things that we already knew but then like they had to cross off but then there were things that were like Mm. that they're well your family so maybe you should maybe you know know that we followed up on this thing you said and it's true you know and then we had a little bit of a history but then nothing Mm. beyond that you know so they they have to, they, you know, it's all situational. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> the majority of kids come into foster care and exit foster care when they're young. Yes. Most kids in yeah. foster care are young children. So I work with teenagers, which um, some of those youth came into the system as teenagers mm-hmm. um, because, amongst other things, they're more able to alert other people to their needs yeah. mm-hmm. um, as older children. And some of them have been in the system since they were younger children. Off and on. Which is off not on. off and on or just continuously, which yeah. is not supposed to happen. No. Um, but it happens. Sometimes children are really difficult to place in long-term settings. Do you say that's a rare thing that happens or do you no. think that happens I think that's more the rule instead of it's supposed Treehouse to be the exception. Treehouse is hiring and is continuously busy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I think that's yes. one of the misconceptions, right? Like we mm-hmm. don't people who don't really understand or we don't understand, like mm-hmm. uh, then in terms of need or in terms of like the children that are are, yeah. are having the hardest time. And so one of the biggest needs, like for the listeners, if you're especially if you're considering it, is there is a huge disconnect, huge disproportionate amount of foster homes of people of color. Mm-hmm. The majority of them are white. I think it's something like only 15% maybe of ho- foster homes are people of color. 
and they want to place children of color with people of color because it sure. keeps them connected to their culture yeah. and or it can potentially mm-hmm. keep them connected to their culture. And our social worker said something to me one time, like if like our previous one who was awful, she said, <laughs> if, if their if their father's family ever came forward because their father is black um, and wanted the kids, we would have to we would probably place the kids with them. Sure. And I said, well, why? And they're like, she's like, well, the kids are black. And we're like, well, you know that, but why? She's like, there's reasons. And and at the time I was young and didn't know. And then now I kind of see those reasons Mm -hmm. as now being, you know, I've talked with Hope about this because... Nate did a podcast uh, last year, I think. The Nerd and Farm was podcast. The nerd, no, no, no. It was oh, one that he was on. I think it was the Move to Tacoma podcast. Oh, okay. Also on Channel initials. 253. Oh, Channel 253. Um, but you guys were in Germany, okay. and <clears throat> we talked about it, and he just talked about just his upbringing, reasons, and I yeah. said something about, um, thank you for confirming all my par- my fears of being a white parent having to raise a child mm, of color, and yeah. especially in the current situation. And just the things you don't think about. Yeah. And so... You know, it's um, really... I'm glad you brought that up because DSHS yeah. has some... Well, I just got... It's so... It's been a few years since I've seen in all some of the resources that are online. But, mm-hmm. I mean, just resources for um, white foster parents to help care for African-American children's mm-hmm. hair. Like, that's a big thing that, like, oh you don't even think and about, you, and right? You're, and you're left to your, you're left to your yeah. own devices yeah. with that. Um, they the re- will. Yeah, it's, it's good that they have those resources, though, because otherwise people may not. And some of the resources know. are kind of terrible. I heard this from a yeah. comedian, and I checked it out myself. Like, there is a <laughs> website called Chocolate Uh-oh. Hair Vanilla Care. I don't know if I should we, should we shame bell that or I, not. I don't. I don't know. I'm gonna shame bell it. Okay. I think it's terrible. I'm disgusting because that feels really <laughs> and, wrong. But it's it's not it's not making fun. It's actually it's a legit website. Some woman who's so, adopted a lot of black kids so, started uh, to teach white parents how to take care of their kids' hair. That's a my that's, like that's, a, that's a need, right? It's like a that's need. a real need for all lots of lots families, of kids, right? right. Well, yeah, but, yeah. Also but your website it's, title. It's, Stop you know, and much. it's something yeah. I worried about because yeah. I mean, my kids, their hair, they're mixed, but they didn't end up with what you would call like air quotes traditional black hair. When you see mixed kids, you yeah, usually see different. the texture, yeah, is, texture is more yeah. of like the Afro texture. My kids' hair, my son's hair is very. He has big barrel curls, but the hair is also kind of thick and coarse, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. much more like island, like Islander. Like he, he kind of okay. looks Islander, and his hair looks Islander as well. My daughter has corkscrew curls mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and the top of them aren't as curly as the back and her the back of her hair is a lot more coarse than the front of her hair mm-hmm. it takes two different products yeah, to do her yeah, hair yeah. yeah you know and so what we had to learn that trial and error yeah. we didn't a, have the assistance it's a wonderful website. idea <laughs> to place kids with yeah can you talk about parents that? systemic level of their race mm-hmm. but because we don't have any foster parents available like period Mm-hmm. Point blank right now. In general. Yeah. Teenagers especially are just placed with whomever mm-hmm. we can find. I right. Housing is not part of my job description. No. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've helped kids find somebody to stay with mm-hmm. um, or research foster parents through my, like, network of foster parents that I know because right. we keep mm-hmm. running into each other because yeah. they keep taking kids right. that keep being in the schools that I'm still working in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kids are supposed to be able to stay in the schools that they were in when they came into mm-hmm. foster care yeah. Yeah. and to be able to stay with their community of kids and to be in what's the right fit school for them. Mm-hmm. And that's not always happening right now because there aren't enough foster parents in the areas that they want to keep living in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But one of the things I love about working with teenagers is that they are so no bullshit. And (laughs) so I have conversations continuously Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. what it is like to be a child of color living with white families. Everything from, like, these people eat kale. (laughs) And that's, like, not a thing. To, I feel like they want me to be, like, their white children. Um, And, you know, some of them are funny conversations and some of them are so deeply painful. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's a conversation that we're having all the time time. as kids reflections on I know this is where I have to be Mm -hmm. um, but this doesn't feel like a good fit for me right Um, and especially when you're talking about Mm -hmm. kids moving towards adoption um, not feeling like they're a good fit in the family that they're in but Mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of adoptions or a lot of options in adoption just Mm -hmm. like you don't have a lot of options in foster care and you want to put a kid like first and foremost in a place that they feel loved and comfortable and safe and Um, the difference in culture between them and their families is a factor mm-hmm. in that. Um, and I've seen some really painful yeah. possible adoptions fall apart mm-hmm. um, and foster parenting situations become really toxic um, between foster parents and their kids for their behavior and their trauma yeah. and their yeah. their challenges. And so kids move a lot and they don't get to experience that stability and mm-hmm. that comes out um, in a number of different ways that are challenging for the school system to respond to and so on and so forth. And when you layer all of that on top of racial stereotypes that are floating out in the world anyway, and the vast majority of um, kids in care are kids of color Mm -hmm. of various races and backgrounds and um, trying to navigate holding on to that piece of your identity and also having your identity be so complicated based on, you know, whatever your experience was in your family. is rough. Right. Mm-hmm. And all that's swirling around in their heads while they're trying to go to high school. And trying right. to learn. <laughs> yeah. Trying to be teenagers and trying to... Trying to just be teenagers who, on top yeah. of that, have, like, you know, dating issues. And right. Like, and and I have a and my... Yep. <laughs> whatever. And, yeah. yeah, and, you know, for me, on the with the younger spectrum, like, my... So, uh, my husband's sister is white, and she was the one who was primarily raising the kids, and their mm-hmm. dad was kind of in and out. So, my son will go... <clears throat> Well, I'm white. Mm-hmm. And then I go, well, yes, but you're you're also black, and that's really cool. And, you know, and he's just like, yeah, but I'm white. Mm. We're just like, oh, yes, but. Like, you know, because we don't want him. Right he's almost seven. Yeah. Oh, He'll okay. be seven in Sorry. November. Mm-hmm. And so, we, but we, we want him to be, you know, proud mm-hmm. and not feel like he has mm-hmm. to just be, you know, white. And it's. It's yeah, it's a difficult mm-hmm. thing and what that means because for people who don't see him that way too. I think about that right. like exactly. in, in his school system, right? As he gets older, as he's walking down the street, and we've had some of those private conversations. Right, right. But the implications of that as he's forming his own self identity yeah. that's shaped and formed by how do I how do I yeah how do I prepare him for you know yeah, what what is and can be the awfulness of people in the outside world yeah. because they're going to judge you based on the fact that you're brown mm-hmm. um, versus like. You know, but yeah. what, what the group of people you're growing up with, you know, the family we've made, like, sorry, with you and Nate and Sarah and Steven, you know, just mm-hmm. everybody, like, they have a lot of, you know, cultural diversity around them, mm-hmm. but they're still, no matter what, they're being raised in a white home. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. so, but it, it's something that, like, one, it's one of those things that you just didn't think about when you had kids. Like, you know, like, True. and, yeah. you know, my husband and I decided, Hope and I have talked about this, 
we actually kind of decided not to have kids. Mm. Um, it wasn't really happening on its own, and we're not, like, you know, IVF people. God bless anybody who wants to do it, but we're just not those people. Mm-hmm. So we decided that if it didn't happen on its own in the next couple of years, we were just going to sell our large house that we bought when we had cash just the first mm-hmm. time and buy a condo and be the people that travel and have a condo and their two dogs because – We were okay with that because we were living that life already and it was Mm -hmm. good. And then the universe said, ha. (laughs) (laughs) But now we have these two beautiful kids and we love them so much. And, you know, we did go through the attachment issues. And my son was always much more aggressive with my husband because he had man issues Mm -hmm. because of his dad. And, you know, therapy and like you were saying, therapy, CASAs. Doctors, dentists, you know, you have all these things things. you have to do by a certain time. And he had therapy every week, plus the social worker's visit. Plus, I spent most of the time at work. I'm trying to work. But I've got CASAs, social workers, the school calling me saying, this is going on, this is going on. This is where I need you to be for this. This court, court date's happening. I need you to write up something, you know, all at the same time. And we just were like, whoa. And it took a long time for everybody to really gel. And now... We're almost six months out from the, just the adoption. And after the adoption happened, we all just took, like, this deep breath of, yeah. like... Existential breath. <laughs> oh, hey. Like, you know, Cash is like, where, where do you have to be today? I'm like, yeah. nowhere, dude. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to be anywhere. You can enjoy <laughs> can go, being You want to go home and here. watch some TV? Like, yeah. do it. Yeah. Because we have not have gotten to. to have this yeah. life. And now... I said, there's no more social workers. There's no more causes. You know, and all yeah. of our people, especially this last time around, were so great and supportive. They all came to the adoption. Oh, every cool. single one of them. Like, awesome. But now they're all sort of out of our life. And I thought he was going to have a really hard time with, like, losing his therapist because he graduated therapy. Yeah. So losing the therapist, losing the social worker, losing. Mm. And he was just like, done. Mm. Like, what can we do now? So, Skylar, you look very thoughtful over there. What are, you, mm. what are some of the things you're thinking about? Um, so in addition to kids not getting to live with people who are necessarily from their culture, mm-hmm. um, you also have kids that get shut um shuttled in between like urban and rural settings that's a culture shock for a lot of kids too Mm -hmm. um but then you send them to school and schools are overwhelmingly white uh Mm -hmm. and from a staff perspective and i'm uh quite white yeah Mm -hmm. uh and i embody all of those middle class white values that i grew up with um and i when i first started working with kids in schools um i got called to the carpet by a kid in class one day for embodying like fear of kids of color Um, and I will never forget that child because she was so important to my realizing Mm -hmm. that um, the way that I show up impacts these kids' Mm. experiences and it ultimately impacts their chances Um, so like where in the culture I come from colorblind is like still a thing that people are into and we don't talk about race and we don't talk Mm -hmm. about difference because if you love everybody hard enough that's enough. It's all going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have changed the way that I communicate drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, sometimes I think I communicate like a teenager. Um, <laughs> just a well, very your audience. plain spoken right. sort of way. And yeah. that it has changed the way that I interact with kids a lot. And I think allows for some of those conversations that I have mm-hmm. with kids on a daily basis mm-hmm. about their identity and the ways in which they're navigating living in mm. a system that doesn't appreciate who they are and what they're going mm-hmm. through and with people that don't understand their background. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a, I need you to be this right now so that we can get this done. Yeah. Kind and of I, mentality. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. such a good way to put it. And it, I, 
the a large part of my job is helping teenagers learn how to navigate systems. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate school? Mm-hmm. How do you manage your frustrations so that you don't get suspended, so that you mm-hmm. don't miss this class, so that you don't yeah. lose this credit, mm-hmm. so that you aren't further behind? Yeah. And how do I help you feel like I'm not going to punish you or be upset with you if you don't mm-hmm. achieve those things and you get off track a little bit more? Yeah. And how are we going to keep coming up with new ways to like work the services that we have? And I'm helping them navigate systems that are white and normed around white middle class values yeah. and to propel them serving further. white middle class people. No, and yeah. to propel them further in education, which is like that way. And yeah. higher mm-hmm. education is a whole nother like bucket that I'm trying to help kids enter yeah. into that is challenging for them on a number of levels. Um, and so some days I just want to put my head down and cry because mm. <laughs> yeah. it's just impossible. Yeah. So how mm. do we, I mean, as I'm listening to, to the conversation today, I keep thinking like, is there anything that we can do or like how do we fight yeah. that on the, like different levels? I, I'm kind of stuck with like how do I fight the systemic things that are happening? Um, is it something that like as a mandated reporter, as a yeah. teacher, do I need to change something the way I do things or look for different things? Mm-hmm. Do I need to take some classes? Like what about us, somebody like, who's like not even in yeah. education? How do we respond to these? Like, can you the give system? us something that like what's a one action thing that was like, yes, we could do that and it would help? someone somewhere is there a way to fight somehow how stuff? do we fight the bad stuff how do we <laughs> it's so much of it. pick one thing um, <laughs> you so hard it down to just one it's thing. so you hard can watch the video about racial disproportionality mm-hmm. in the foster care system as a mandated reporter i think all educators should be watching okay. it i think mm-hmm. anyone um who comes into contact with children or just mm-hmm. lives in the world should watch it um yeah. we can put it in the show notes it's up on the internet yeah. it's like 10 minutes long um i think I don't know if other people feel this way, but I feel like there's a lot more conversation about whiteness in general happening in the culture right now. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's the echo chamber of the communities that I'm in and like the Facebook I have and the Mm -hmm. Twitter feed that I roll with. Um, Mm -hmm. But as white people who are teaching or service providing or interacting with children in any way to continue that examination for yourself and to think about what that means for you interacting with youth of color, Mm -hmm. um, what it means for them right because it's not all about you it's actually about how they're experiencing you and how they're moving through the world and what we're going to do to help them navigate it anything that you can read or get your hands on or Mm. challenge yourself (laughs) to spend some time thinking about it um, so that you can become more culturally literate and less defensive um, and less scared Mm -hmm. to engage with kids as human beings Mm -hmm. that just really need like attachment and love and to know deeply that they matter to the people that are Mm -hmm. around them and sometimes that barrier of race and culture stops that feeling from happening when Mm -hmm. you're scared to interact with kids Mm -hmm. um, on as human of a level as you would interact with your own kids Mm -hmm. or kids in your family right and I think you know like you were talking about um, now I lost my train of thought uh, about what you were talking about but um also, just understanding the kids, especially when they when they act out, like what's mm. going on, because it's really it's their trauma, it's a triggering. A, it's all abandonment, yeah. because especially when kids have been shuffled through the foster system, or you know, mom's taken off, so we're living with grandma, you know, and the stress that puts on whomever, they're they're denied what would be a basic human right. I think of like affection, love, mm. attention, mm-hmm. you know, which are things that everybody needs. Like nobody, nobody thrives alone. And deserves, right? And, mm-hmm. and something they deserve. Yeah. And so I think that especially if you know a kid who's going through that or, 
mm-hmm. you, you know, since a kid is going through that, I guess just understanding support, redirection, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, mm-hmm. as much as possible in those kinds of things. And knowing that, you know, for my son, it was a big deal to know that no matter how much he screamed and acted out and slammed this, that, and the other when he was having a tantrum, it wasn't about us. Yeah, It's, you know, it's about his anger and fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's all about fear. Fear of what's going to happen. Am I going to stay here? Fear of... Will I ever see my mom or my dad again? Will I ever see mm-hmm. this person I knew again? Um, you know, all of, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. What's tomorrow going to be? Because mm-hmm. they, a lot of times they lived with an unpredictability mm-hmm. in their life and instability. And now they, it that, like the instability has been made instable. There's probably like a, a lot of yeah. comfort in that. Mm-hmm. And so now like stability feels unstable. Yeah. And will this last yep. forever? It feels nice. Totally. But will this last forever? Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, something that kids need. need with, is, yeah. Yeah. And with teenagers, we apply that like pull yourself up by your bootstraps shit. Mm-hmm. to them writ large and forget that they are yeah. still children yep. Yep. and that their brains are still developing and that all of the trauma that they have, they are re-experiencing in different ways as they go through different mm-hmm. stages of life. Mm-hmm. So we can't just assume that like because they got therapy for a little while, they're fixed and it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and that they have the capacity to mm-hmm. just like be the kids they need to be in school mm-hmm. and in court and in their jobs right. and their, their lives as they're moving forward. They need that compassion and that yeah. relearning because they haven't they haven't had that just they as much as everybody been, else does right <laughs> just you know like your parents taught you how to act in the world and you know politeness etc and mm-hmm. sometimes when these kids weren't raised like that because of the situations they're in a lot of times the reasons they are brought to care yeah, the they people don't, around you don't know how to if manage they don't, feelings. Right. You're not going to, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> like you know with my, with my son it was like his mom was not an emotionally um mature person and yeah. uh, and everything was like an overreaction mm. and so for him everything was this extreme overreaction from the fact that he didn't get the cookie he wanted to yeah. you know he he bumped his leg on the side of the table you would have thought that he got stabbed you know mm-hmm. and what yeah. and and so we had to like learn to like we kind of had to underreact yeah. And then yeah, build it back up. It's kind of like the yeah. break you down, build you back up. We had to underreact to everything mm-hmm. in order to slowly build them up to teach them what, like, like that's not a normal, you know, Managing setting the house emotions. on fire is not a normal reaction yeah. to stubbing your toe. You should yeah. Yeah. say, you know, you can cry. You can yell that it hurts, you know, and have yeah. me look at it. But so like, I, like, I hear yeah. you saying that, like, for these students who are children who are going through these kind of traumatizing stuff is, mm-hmm. like, be patient with them and give them the love that they need. Patience, patience, okay. patience, patience. I, I like, can do that. <laughs> like, more, I'm patient, more I'm patience very patient. than you think you'd ever You're need. Yeah. Like, yeah. more patience yeah. than is, like, for me, it was, like, yeah. we've had to be more patient and do more It's what I call things, the, the infinite kind of like, well of patience the infinite yes. well that people have in schools. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. I had yeah. one. Yeah, you have it. Because I really don't feel like You have it. You do have it. And it's okay to be human. Like, there are times where I would totally go in the bedroom and cry while he's out there crying because, like, I didn't know what else to do. And then my husband would come home, who's normally not the most patient person, and he has really impressed me. He found it. Like, he he helped me fill my well because he was able to go, you know what? Go fill up for a second. I'm going to take care of this. Absolutely. And, you know, so, yeah. 
Well, I we're super. I mean, we really appreciate you coming mm-hmm. on the show, both of you, and and sharing your stories. Absolutely, thank uh, you so much. We want to shift a little bit to a more like silly okay. version. It's a little lighthearted. It's a little yes, more lighthearted. Is that all right? We need lightheartedness. Okay. Yes. It's and okay. then we'll do our um, the homework segment. And I know there's okay. a couple things you y'all want to recommend. So this is our timeless or terrible interchangeable. Right, ladies. So we're shaking this jar. And we're going to pull <laughs> out some things that are timeless or terrible, and then you can weigh in on them, either right. or both of you. Right. What is it, Annie? What'd you pull? Okay, these are things that, that white women, middle class women traditionally enjoy. Yoga pants when not doing yoga. Yoga pants or pants. Yoga pants. It has the word pants in it. You should be able to wear <laughs> yoga pants anytime that you want. Yeah, I I almost wore yoga pants today. And, but um, because I was doing a bunch of laundry. Um, Were you doing yoga, though? Because... I was bending over see, a lot. that is like yoga. And I feel yeah. like if you can classify... Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm picking up... I'm doing, I'm doing child yoga. It's called reaching under the couch to get that thing. <laughs> yeah. While still standing and holding a basket of laundry. Nobody... Um, you know, it's... Yeah. yeah it's, Nobody asks men if they're going to play basketball oh, truth. When, when they're wearing, wearing basketball, basketball shirts. Yes. That's true. True. So That's don't true. Criticize me for They're, my damn you know what? Yeah. 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 However, I will point out Hope and I have a club of leggings are not pants. Yeah, that's almost like There's a dip there. I, 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 I feel it's, it's a Sorry, line. Skylar, you're not a part <laughs> well, of it. Well, no. It's a line if we you're have wearing drawn a top that covers your butt, fine. But well, but then, but then oh, I don't know. I feel like work. I feel like they're. I feel like yoga pants when not doing yoga might, from what I hear you say, just to say, be clarified that they're timeless. Timeless. Because. Of double standards in yes. clothing wearing. Yes. Okay. Yes. So by, so by default they I'm are just ashamed. timeless because if dudes wear basketball. Okay, I get it. I get it. So I originally I believe that yoga pants are terrible. Um, if you're not doing yoga or like going to work out or whatever, yeah. um, I understand why people do it or like on the plane, right? There's some exceptions, but I appreciate yeah. what you just pointed out about gender inequality and so, yeah. uh, double standards. Yeah. And so yeah. now yeah. I've changed my mind. So yes. thank you. Yeah. yeah. I feel, wear, I feel very, wear, I feel like. very, <laughs> I feel very enlightened about yoga pants now. Okay. Um, this time, one of you pick this out. We'll do one more. Okay. Pick a, okay. pick a thing out of there. Well, let's see how it goes here. Oh, do I get to read it? Yeah, yes. please. We'll see if it makes sense. My I think it's the hands. same thing. Oh, it's related for sure. It's related, oh, so, so let's try how do you all different. feel? You want to, well, okay, so let's see. So yeah. how do you feel about hashtags, the use of hashtags when people are um, posting anything on social media? So, for example, like with the yoga pants thing, lots of people post hashtag yoga, hashtag yoga pants, hashtag <laughs> pants and yoga, hashtag fitness, hashtag walking, Which hashtag I think you know that dog, we think is really humorous. Yeah. So we're going to let you answer first. When the entire post hashtags? is hashtags, I just shake my head. So I'm going to say it's terrible. I think hashtags have a place like when you're you. doing it for like a specific thing, you know, like and they want you hashtag to hashtag this. Breakfast, Fine. hashtag brunch, hashtag breakfast, brunch. Hashtag, hashtag eggs, hashtag Everybody hash browns, hashtag hash, hashtag lunch. Food. Why hash do browns? people think that other people care that <laughs> much service announcement. Stop taking pictures of your food. Yeah. We don't care. I don't understand. <laughs> Okay. Yes. I take terrible. It's Shay, terrible. I completely take food pictures because I take pride in the yes. things that I make. There you go. If you but make it fine, but don't take your nobody wants to see hashtag fall menu Mm-mm. on my Instagram. Hashtag PNW is best. Yeah. Like, no one yeah. needs to care even about my Instagram. Uh, I feel anyway. like I feel like it is a, it serves a purpose when I take pictures of my dog. I will. <laughs> Hashtag dogs of Instagram because then once I post the picture, I can click on the hashtag. It's group, and then I can see the groups. dogs, and that's adorable. But and if it's like all fine. the hashtags, then I don't need. Yeah, them, no. You know. When it, the entire thing if is it's hashtags, gotta be functional, no. no, then fine. If it starts yeah. to draw attention to your post, you posted. 
So didn't you draw Here's attention the, to your posts? That's mm-hmm. what I always wonder about the How ones who are like, especially when <laughs> yes. they move words around, like yeah. hashtag fit, hashtag mommy, hashtag fit mommy, hashtag mommy's fitness. <laughs> and I think who, with the intent of the hashtag in the first place, I'm like, who's clicking on mommy fitness? That's not clicking on mommy. That's not taking on hashtag fitness. On fitness. Like, yeah. What is, I mean. The, that's the challenging part for me. Yeah. So. We've all in agreement. It is terrible. Terrible. Yes. Terrible. Perfect. So um, we have come to the final segment of our show. Annie? The final segment of our show is called Do Your Fudging Homework. Interchangeable. Right, ladies. So homework for our audience. So I have so I have a book that I got um, when we started adopting the kids. And once I started reading it, I realized it applies to anybody who um, is dealing with children who have behavioral issues or are in foster care, or that they've adopted, and mm. and it doesn't, and it kind of goes across. It transcends race, like it can be for anybody. So it's called Twenty Things Adopted Kids Wish Their Adoptive Parents Knew, and it's from Sherry Eldridge, yeah. and it's got some really great stuff in it. And so one of them is, you know, I'm afraid I'll be too much to handle, mm. or when I act out my fears in obnoxious ways, please hang in there with me and respond wisely. Um. Or, you know, please respect my privacy around my adoption. Please don't tell everybody, you know, mm-hmm. my story because mm-hmm. uh, that's for me to tell. So, um, you know, or like we talked about before, I may appear to be whole than I – more whole than I actually am. And I need your help to uncover parts of myself that I keep hidden so I can integrate all the elements into my identity. So, that's awesome. Like that's a big that's one so for so me. So you think the book so, applies to um, kids like of all genders and all races? I think it applies like, to kids of all genders, reflexive. all races. I think that awesome. it would be something that like – would be really good, like, if you read it, okay. I bet you could apply any part of it to just kids you work with who are having a hard time at okay. home Thank you. or, you know, something like nice. that. But I think anybody who is, even as a foster parent, it's just good things to know about the kids okay. in your care. Mm-hmm. That's so, fantastic. Yeah, Thank you so much. Um, another really excellent book about child trauma that is super accessible is Bruce Perry's The Boy Who Was Raised mm-hmm. uh, as a Dog or Like a Dog. Mm-hmm. I'm not pretty sure there. Um, it's another really excellent book. We'll link to it. Um, I would recommend that any white person in a service role, like an educator or a social worker or a, a do-gooder of any variety, mm-hmm. reads Ivan Illich's speech that is commonly known as To Hell with Good Intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a speech that he gave in the 60s to a group of service professionals about paternalism and yep. about going in with your culture to do mm. and create, recreate your culture amongst mm-hmm. people that don't live that way. and. Yeah who's like plain for being is just like completely off of what you're thinking. Um, but the, the basic punchline point is you should never ever be doing work with someone who can't tell you to go to hell mm-hmm. for what you're trying to do. That's right. Um, it's a very like, um, it's a little dense as a speech, but the point is beautiful and great. And of course, I also think that everyone should watch the video on racial disproportionality mm-hmm. in the foster care mm-hmm. system and check themselves. Awesome. So some, some websites for them to check out would be, um, Foster Care Alliance, yep. Washington, uh, mm-hmm. DSHSWA.gov, um, and go to the foster care page. Foster care page, um, and then um, Fostering Together mm-hmm. is another really great one, yeah. and um, the it will give you great resources. Um, foster parent advocates, people who are trying to. Um, get other foster parents involved or help foster parents have a voice because sometimes we're Mm. advocating for the kid Mm. but because of you know situations in the state laws barriers etc 
we can't always get what we need, but mm-hmm. we should be able to. So uh, I thought of one more. We didn't shame bell mm-hmm. ourselves on this earlier, but we said the word casa a number of times. Yeah, I've been mm-hmm. keep, I keep wondering. A casa. Where's the bell? Where's the bell? It's, it's like a house. It's a way that you know <laughs> where you are. Like, yeah. This is another really excellent way if you yes. want to help oh, children yes. in the child welfare system. Okay. A casa is a court-appointed special advocate, oh. which mm-hmm. is what all. Hey. All young children in the system are supposed to um, have access to, and that's a person who receives training to advocate for kids in court. And so you build mm-hmm. a relationship with kids. And you don't have to be a lawyer to be a CASA. No, no you don't. You don't. Um, and you, you just go through some training, and then they give you a kid, and it's your job to help make sure that that kid's voice awesome. is represented in the court system, and mm-hmm. it is a desperately needed. And I, I, as a service provider, freaking love CASAs mm-hmm. um, because they help me help kids advocate for themselves when they're yeah. young and don't have the voice to do right. so. We got our CASA, yeah, we got our CASA for Cassius when he first was placed with us, and she was our CASA again this next time, oh, so she followed awesome. the whole case, Google. and she was the person advocating for him not to go back that first time. That's so cool. And so then when this all happened again, she basically was just like, what did I say? And yeah, we're like, awesome. yep, so we thanked she her. She was consistent through the whole process. She was consistent, yeah, and awesome. she challenged us cool. on things, and then she also really advocated advocated for the kids and she was a huge blessing so awesome. anybody who's interested in helping out in a way but like maybe not being a foster parent yeah. but who cares yeah. about foster awesome. kids or anything like that be a casa they need them and yeah that's and awesome it would, it's a great well thing. i think it sounds like there's you, a lot of homework. your homework was yeah. amazing so and i feel fantastic. like ours isn't really so we'll just needed because you yeah, covered everything we'll... <laughs> so we're gonna not assign homework yeah, from us, us this yeah, time your guys' yeah. homework is awesome so um, thank you again thank for coming you so on the show. much for coming we really appreciate it back good time thanks Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Subscribe to the other podcasts, Nerd Farmer, Move to Tacoma, Citizen Tacoma, and Flounder's B-Team. Bye! Class dismissed. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska! Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.